Greetings. Love Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Just Juvenile Urban Sex Trafficking. Today, we're going to ask some very compelling and gripping questions. And the purpose of engaging you in this conversation about sex trafficking in America is to be able to differentiate between sex trafficking, prostitution, urban sex trafficking, and domestic sex trafficking. So here's my question to my men. Would you pay 80 to $200 for a little girl to suck your penis? Would you, if you're a wife or a stay-at-home mom, knowingly or otherwise, authorize, permit, directly or indirectly, your spouse to engage in sexual relations with another child? Would you, teacher, police officer, politician, parent, knowingly, ignore the signs of a victim of sex trafficking by purportedly insinuating that this individual is not a victim at all, but rather is a consensual individual who is a knowing participant in the act of prostitution? Would you pay $100 to insert your penis into the anus of a 12-year-old little girl or a boy? Would you do that under the belief that you're engaging in a consensual act of prostitution? Would you not recognize that because of the age of the individual that it is an act of victimization? If you are a politician, under what circumstances would you differentiate between an urban victim and a traditional domestic victim? Thank you for joining me. This is Sherry Jefferson, the founder of Female Not Female Agenda. Clearly, in its language, it epitomizes two individuals, the female by gender and the female with two E's, with a cost analysis attached to her back like a bullseye that says your sole purpose on this earth is to be sold for sex. Do you think that all individuals who are victims of sex trafficking are those who reside in a state of poverty, who come from dysfunctional families? who are subject to the Department of Family and Children's Services, also referred to as foster care or defects? Do you think that these are individuals who are missing persons or runaways? Do you believe that these individuals should have an opportunity to regain their life and to move forward? Or do you, like so many others, tend to think that they signed up for this and they knew at all times what the collateral consequences were going to be. How do you determine that they're victims and you advocate for victimization but do nothing to address the criminalization of their victimization? By calling these individuals prostitutes and by isolating them as consensual beings, by differentiating between urban and sex trafficking, we're in essence saying that some of these individuals are entitled to more protections than others. And that is why Female Not Female, the African American Juvenile Justice Project, the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute, and a host of others will be presenting a conference entitled Justice for Just Us. While there are many people who confuse just, J-U-S-T, that is a verbiage 
that has been used by almost a decade or more, 2001, so two decades, literally, by attorney Sherry Jefferson, then Sherry Jefferson, through her programs and outreach for victims, by another organization called SHARE, which has a JUST conference, which is Juvenile Sex Trafficking, which they just began in the last two or three years. We have been on the front line doing just juvenile urban sex trafficking for almost 20 years. Before individuals wanted to recognize the difference between domestic sex trafficking, as they now call it, which in essence is recognizing the difference between girls of color, particularly and only as I speak, African-Americans and Afro-Latinas, Puerto Ricans, Dominicanas, girls from Cuba, and the other parts of the diaspora, and girls that represent the West Indies and the Caribbean islands, who have been victims of sex trafficking on American soil. And those of the other groups who come from Asia, India, Muslim worlds, etc. And then the domestic sex trafficking in America, which the emphasis was on young white girls from rural America, particularly with the emphasis on West Coast, Midwest, and some of the seven, seven states. And very little, if any, emphasis was focused upon African American girls and girls of color, Afro Latinas, etc. Because the thought was, These girls are sexualized, and this is something they want to do because they live in a state of poverty. But our research over the last 20 years has clearly established, as a matter of fact, that most of the documentation and the purported data that is being gathered, what we refer to as white paper or research, is contrary to the truth. What it does is gives individuals a reason to justify the exploitation, sexual abuse, and the victimization of young black girls by also subjecting them to criminalization and charges of prostitution and other victimization-related offenses like possession of drugs, underage drinking, battery, disrupting public schools, theft, fraud, that all partake and are part and parcel of their victimization through gang violence, through other pimps, including many of their own familiar or family-related acts. Although the legal definition of prostitution is consenting and consensual act for profit or exchange, doesn't always have to be monetary exchange, we charge girls every day in America for prostitution. These girls include but are not limited to the juveniles as well as older women up to the age of 21 to 25. And that while there are others who say, well, they're not charging them as much anymore, Ms. Jefferson. Yeah, because we've been on the front line and we've been fighting for years and I'm sure others have as well. But the difference is where you miss it pertaining to what is happening in the urban corridors of America that is flowing and overflowing into some of the rural areas where those young girls have been brought into metropolitan areas to be sold for sex, is that you are, in fact, still charging them for their victimization. You arrest them for being runaways because we have this perception that these girls are not missing. No one has taken an interest in finding them. On the contrary, they just are not afforded the same media attention, and that's a glass half full, half emptied. And as a glass half full, half empty, because I fault their communities 
for any inability to get the word out that these individuals are missing. Well, why would you do that? I do that because I'm in the communities, and I see where there are some girls who, contrary to your belief about poverty, dysfunctional families, single-parent households, are in fact victims of urban trafficking, but they're from two-family households, and both of their parents are college-educated, and both of their parents are professional. And they live in homes that are three to 6,000 square feet, also referred to as Mac Mansions now in America. And they come from a thriving background of individuals who did dance and jazz and gymnastics and cheerleading. So they don't fit the stereotype or the mode of what we want people in the world to think about sex trafficking on American soul. I guess it sells easy to suggest and imply directly or indirectly that victims must be poor, dysfunctional, single-parent household. It gives you all the reasons to justify these falsities because that is not the reality of the majority of the victims in urban sex trafficking in America. A lot of these girls go to school every single day, and they're still victims. You drop them off at school, or the school bus lets them out if you're in a state like Georgia. And that pimp is there to pick them up and take them to their next job or their next meeting. Urban sex trafficking has a role of its own. And for that, we developed a curriculum that we use to educate the 17 Ps. And most of you are aware of what the 17 Ps are or is and what it stands for. But for those who are not, it is a collaborative, multidisciplinary method of incorporating, engaging, and collaborating these 17 individuals as individuals and by profession in an effort to eradicate sex trafficking. But before you can eradicate, you have to educate and understand it. You then must be able to engage these individuals who are victims of it, who are partakers of it, and who are stakeholders but moreover, our shareholders. Because, see, your stakeholders are not actually an intricate part of sex trafficking. They're not engaged in the day-to-day -day abuses associated with sex trafficking or the collateral consequences. They have some indirect impact on the outcome of sex trafficking. So I don't use the term stakeholder as other people do. I prefer something that says you are invested in this. So you are a shareholder. You are invested from beginning to end in eradicating sex trafficking because you are directly impacted by sex trafficking. And for that, we have shareholders, shareholders, and they start with the parent, the pastors, and the principals because those are the first three individuals in systems, if you will, from your house to the church house to the schoolhouse, and in that order, literally speaking, in which the systems are in place that will determine whether or not that child will become a victim of juvenile urban sex trafficking. It starts with those first three systems, and our conference will highlight that further. And then you have your next system. And that will include, depending upon the outcome for that child, mental health 
or the criminal justice track. If it's the mental health track, you have your physician, your pharmacist, and your psychiatrist. Why? Because victims of sex trafficking, juvenile sex trafficking, suffer anal tearing from forced sodomies, vaginal tearing from forced rapes and or multiple sex partners and or abusive sexual acts. They suffer from abortions, unwanted pregnancies, multiple abortions and unwanted pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, AIDS. And so the mental health track also allows for them to receive the mental health services. And so now everybody has sort of implemented our approach. They call it the multidisciplinary approach. It's really Sherry Jefferson's approach. People aren't going to acknowledge it. It's been our approach for almost 20 years, incorporating these entities since 2001 and furtherance of eradicating sex trafficking. And one might say, well, it hasn't been abolished yet. No, and neither was slavery. Because in order to eradicate something, in addition to educating people and engaging people, the other E for our platform is you have to empower people. And through conferences and community outreach and our programs and our services, we empower. But we empower the parents. We're empowering the principals through the school systems. We're empowering the pastors through our faith-based initiatives. And it's the smaller churches. I think it's important that you reach out to mega churches. Yeah. But we find that most of the mega churches are so far removed from the plights that plague their communities even when they're built in the midst of blight. Most of them are built almost like the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, a multi-billion dollar entity built in the, the heart of blight in Atlanta. Poverty, homelessness, sickness, disease, death, violence, unemployment, drug addiction. It's just centered right there, like something that just dropped right out of space. Boom but has no connection to the community around it. None whatsoever. I'm sure you say you'll give a few people jobs, right? It's the same mindset dealing with juvenile urban sex trafficking, where you have these mega churches that sit in the heart of prostitution throughout this country. Black and white churches alike, the Latino churches alike, because we know that's the most segregated hour Sunday mornings. For those of us who do not participate in a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church, interdenominational churches, if you don't have that experience, then you become that segregated hour. And, and as much as you're segregated for that hour, most of your mega churches remain segregated from their communities. And they have no mindset as to what happens to the people every day that's right outside of their church. And for that, we present and we promote our programs and our services to empower those entities. But before you can empower them, we have to be able to encourage the other E, the young men and women, yes, young men, that we provide our services to. 
We encourage and we enlighten them so that we would be able to empower them because it is esteem that they need going forward. But in many regards, it was not a lack of self-esteem that put them in that position. We find, contrary to what most of these organizations want to state, that poverty is not the reason for juvenile urban sex trafficking. Because if you look at statistics, then it would justify that more white girls should be victimized than blacks. Because you look at any real data in America, Columbia University study, there are more whites in America that are in poverty. Look at any documentation for public welfare systems in America, more white families receive food stamps and public assistance and public aid than black and Latinos. And so this is where we play with numbers in America, and we look at the per capita numbers as opposed to the actual numbers. And so if poverty were the precursor to sex trafficking in America, then surely it would not justify you making an excuse, rights for girls, in your data to suggest that the reason why black girls are more likely is because of poverty. The next myth that we dispel through our conferencing is given truth. And the truth is not that we have more black girls who are victims of sex trafficking as an actual approximate cause of their interactions with abuse. Because again, if you look at data provided by Department of Family and Children's Services, there are more white children in DFAX custody in the United States than blacks. They're just afforded the opportunity to have kin care programs and services and be kept intact with the family, where black children are more likely to be torn away from their families and from the communities through an institutionalized racism and abusive practice by social workers, many of whom declare maltreatment and mistreatment as enough to remove a child from home. And most of their definition of maltreatment and mistreatment of these children is not because of physical or sexual abuse. On the contrary, more white children in America suffer those plights. So when you go as a caseworker, from suburban America into the projects, and you see in a cupboard peanut butter and a refrigerator jelly with some eggs, you think this child is starving to death, and you don't realize that that's how most of us eat. And we've done very well. That in a parent's mind, they're thinking, you're going to get a dose of protein in the morning. You'll get one boiled egg and a little bit of milk, but you've got protein, and you have calcium, and that's what you're going to have. And for dinner, you'll get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So you have your bread. So you've got some kind of fiber in their mind with a dose of carbs in their mind. And you're going to whoosh this down with a little bit of cod liver oil because you live in a project. So you're not getting vitamin D. So where you think these black parents are just strictly ignorant and starving their kids out, many of them are not. Many of them are not. And we have a lot of cases of abuse that justifies the removal but not to enable people who claim to be advocates for sex trafficking to make the assumption that that is the precursor for black girls being more likely than not to be subject to victimization. Because when you do that, you're actually trying to give the pimp an excuse. You're trying to give the purchaser an excuse. Those are the other P's. I'm throwing them out there. Catch them. You're trying to give them excuses. to Say, this is why you can subject black girls to victimization because they're poor. But we're not. 
Black girls are no more in a state of poverty than their white female counterparts. So we know that that's not the angle. And our conference and our communications and our outreach and our webinars, they justify that. And over the last few years, we've taken two the media, meaning digital media and the webinars, but we still operate in the communities. That is where it is because the people we're trying to reach, they don't get to sign on and do webinars. Our girls don't have the time to do a webinar. Their cell phone usage is to collect those calls, not a collect call, but to collect, meaning to be available when the calls come in for where they're supposed to be if they're not able to get to those locales on their own. And so we engage in a medium that allows for the pool that we need to reach. And see, this is why there's a difference between those of us who understand urban sex trafficking, because when you get it and you understand it, you're where they are. And there are times when we need to be in Washington, D.C., sitting in our nice offices and communicating with politicians. Yeah, because you think getting the laws changed in and of themselves makes the difference. But here's the reality. I support the opportunities that politicians do allow for their constituents to have an ability to communicate with them because that's what you're put in office to do. I think that P, the politician, and the other P, the press, are critical to the eradication of sex trafficking. But they're not the end-all, be-all. And so when people get caught up with, oh, the media is calling these girls prostitutes, well, guess what? You can't blame the press for that. You blame the politicians for that. Because until your state and federal legislatures recognize the difference between sex trafficking and prostitution, and until they stop criminalizing the act of prostitution in that regard where it impacts the victim, what other word or language or term can the press use? And so that's what we discuss at our just conferences. See, our just conferences are very unique. You look for these elaborate settings to bring hundreds of people together who go back into the communities, and these NGOs collect millions of dollars collectively, and the girls are still victims. How do you know that? You just look at states like California, New York, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Ohio. And I'm just throwing a few out there based on immediate data. And you tell me in the last 20 years what has truly changed. In the state of Georgia, they were willing to push safe harbor, Senate Bill 7, without ever holding the Johns accountable. And we fought and we fought and we fought. And I stayed in their faces on this subject matter. And although Senate Bill 7 went before, when it did, I know they weren't expecting Sherry Jefferson to come out the water and the woodwork the way she did because we felt like, no, this just can't happen. You cannot pass laws that enable individuals to continue to profit from victimization without recognizing the role of the John and moreover, without dealing with the issue of criminalization. How do you call these children victims for purposes of profiting so mental health services and educational resources, but then you continue to treat them like a criminal? And this is where we come in with how we were the ones pushing for on a world platform changes in how you educate the schools, how you educate law enforcement. And now, just now in the recent legislation that has been presented and those that have passed, 
even the reauthorization TVPA. Now, for the first time, it is adding that language. Now, for the first time, it is adding that language. Publicly, we're one of the first to put in writing and make available over the internet and then disseminate it to over 400 alleged advocates. This is the platform. These are the areas that we need to target. And now we're having language that says this is where we need to go and this is what we need to be doing because most of you who allegedly, purportedly are engaged in advocacy, you all started out on an international basis. And so federal legislation, with all due respect, while good, it doesn't do anything on the local levels. And it is state advocacy that is important. So to keep up grades for states is not important in that sense. We need people going beyond tracking their grades because that's what you believe they should and should not be doing. But it doesn't speak to what the people in that state believe should happen because if it did, they would be doing it. And so just because someone has a report card, that is not advocacy. Who do you have on the ground? actually making sure that the campaigns to educate and to edify gives the individuals in that state the tools that they need. Again, while we've been fighting for unrestricted safe houses, and why do you need that, Attorney Jefferson? Why do you need that, Sherry? Why do you need that, Miss Jefferson? Depending upon the lens in which you see me. It is because you cannot take a child off the street and place them into custody like they're a criminal and then cloak it under the Department of Family and Children Resource Services. Why? Because we still have many children who were in foster care, who were subject to defects, who ended up as prostitutes. Yeah, I'm going to use that word because that's the criminalization that you charge them with, who ended up engaged in a forced act of prostitution, and then latter, who ended up as victims of sex trafficking. Because remember, there's a difference between all three. Okay, And so now we say you are the very same agency and entity that's going to take responsibility. Well, let me give the clarification. When we wrote in our report two, three years ago, and we posted it, and, we did the, and when we did the change petition, and then when we revised the change petition, because people said, well, you're asking for too much. Let's try and get these two, three things done now, Jefferson, and then you could move forward. Okay, well, let's start with the original writing and then where we are today. We did not want police officers taking the children into immediate custody for arrest. What we wanted them to do is spend time and create an assessment tool, which is what we did. No one else had an assessment tool for law enforcement. No one had an assessment tool for law enforcement. New York did not. California did not. Ohio did not. Texas did not. Florida did not. Georgia did not. And the assessment tool enables you to determine, is this a victim? And so from 2012 to 2015, we discussed assessment tools to differentiate, to be able to determine. And from 2001 to 2012, we were meeting with law enforcement in areas where we knew and saying, this is the assessment that you guys need to be using. You can't just assume that they're prostitutes. They're victims. Well, how are we supposed to know they're victims, Ms. J? Well, this is how you're going to know they're victims. Look at this, 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 and this. And once you've looked at this, then you can make assessments. And even if it's not part of the standard um, uh, protocol, 
you know, your 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 S your S um OPs for your police department, you can do it when you're in the field. Hell, you guys do a lot of things when you're in the field that aren't part of your SOPs. Hello. I'm just saying. Right? I'm not expecting you to violate any procedures like engage in police brutality. But there are times when your self-judgment and your discretion is not part of a written manual. And so you have to be able to use that when you're encountering a young lady or boy who is a victim. And these are the tools and the things that are needed. And so through JUST, we are trying to bring justice for juvenile urban sex trafficking in the United States victims. So it's justice for just us. So we want you to join us in our advocacy for justice for just us, whether it be through our upcoming webinars, conferences, outreach community-based programs, our mass social media tweets. We're still here. We are not the same just conference as Shared Hope. We operate different and have been since 2001. Thank you for joining me, Sherry Jefferson, on today's episode of Just, Justice for Just Us. We together can eradicate and end urban sex trafficking. Visit us at our website, female, not female, with two E's, dot com, or go to justconference.us, justconference.us. Thank you. Be blessed and be encouraged.